Hi, this is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 210 of Art for Your Ear. 210. That is crazy. Also crazy, how hot it is here. <laughs> if this intro sounds a little tinny to you, it is because I cannot bear to be under the pillow fort um, sheet at the moment. It's about 100 degrees here, and I feel like I'm melting, so... Please bear with the tinniness. Uh, the interview sounds beautiful and crystal clear, but I can't be under the tent. I'm sorry, I just can't. Anyway, today's episode is supported by Create Magazine. They've got a call for art and the deadline is coming up fast, as in Wednesday, June 30th fast. Create Magazine is partnering with the leading art platform, Tax Collection, for their fall 2021 print issue. Do you follow Tax Collection on Instagram? You should. I sure do, because they always find the coolest stuff. Anyway, they're the ones that are going to be making the picks for the pages of the magazine this time around. Visit createmagazine.com submit for details to apply to this open call for what is bound to be yet another gorgeous issue. Or if you'd like, you can send your work to be considered for Create Magazine's free blog. Now, speaking of the end of June, this is going to be the last episode in this season of Art for Your Ear. I know. I am taking July and August off to spend time with my boys and to get recharged and ready for the sixth season of the podcast that will kick off in early September. But don't worry, I've got a super long episode for you today. Elise Dodge is a fabulous artist based in Los Angeles, but she grew up just down the lake from where I grew up. Yep, just a couple of Okanagan girls talking about mountains, lakes, and the good old days. In fact, as I often do, I basically forgot that we were recording this conversation, so there are many, many tangents and side stories that have nothing to do with art. So just pretend that you're eavesdropping on two old friends at a coffee shop. Well, Two old friends who've never actually met each other in person. Okay, so back to Elise's work. I am lucky enough to own one of her paintings because my very sweet husband, Greg, commissioned her to paint our view of the lake for my Christmas present a couple of years ago. What? I was so surprised, I completely cried when I opened that gift. Anyway, I feel like I know Elise, and I just kind of assumed that I must have had her on the podcast somewhere during those 210 episodes. No, I didn't. Well, don't worry. I am fixing that right now. Calling Elise Dodge in Culver City, California. Hi, Elise. Welcome to Art for Your Ear in the heart of the Okanagan Valley. Yay! <laughs> My hometown! Yeah! I know, I just... Love it that you are from here too. We have that little connection, plus so many other weird connections, actually. Lots of people that I think we know that overlap. And anyway, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. We haven't met in person still blows my mind because like, we should have many a time by now. I know. It's so weird. And then I said to Greg, because um, I mean, what, a couple of years ago, Greg reached out to you I'd written about you and he reached out to you and commissioned you to do a painting for me for Christmas of our view in the Okanagan yeah <laughs> and so I asked him last night I said when that was all going on did you actually talk to Elise or did you just email he said we just emailed 
And he said, haven't you had her on the podcast before? And I'm like, I thought I had, but no, I haven't. It's so, so anyway, this is our first time speaking to each other. I know. I'm so excited. Honestly, it's been like one of my goals to be on your podcast. Really? Probably, gosh, like six years or so. Oh my God. You should have just messaged me and been like, um, hello, you stare at my painting every day. Could you get <laughs> your act together and get me on the podcast? Yeah. Um, well, I'm you're here. Right. You're here. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, you are super pregnant with your yeah. second baby boy. So that's a very exciting thing that's on the horizon, but you have 5 billion things on the horizon. Every time I check your Instagram, there's something crazy going on. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like, um, timing is everything. And I feel like with my first, it was the exact same where it was like, you know, there was this lull and there was kind of a quiet period. I got pregnant. It was still kind of like, you know, gradually getting busier. Then about a few months before he was born, it was like my world blew up. There was so much work coming in. Then I had my first show like a few months after he was born. <laughs> it's like, this is crazy. And it's happening again where I don't know what is going on with the, the world. The universe can sense it. It'll be, the universe is like, this will be funny. This will yeah. be funny. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's just add a few more things and yeah, yeah. see what she can deliver yeah. while she's delivering a baby. Yeah. And now they're like, you know what is even better? A toddler. And a baby. Let's just do it all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go back in time and let's talk about you growing up in the Okanagan, where I grew up and now live again. So, um, you were were you born here? I was. I was born in Kelowna. Oh my gosh. Yeah, born and raised in Kelowna. Um, lived in the same house from when I was three. My parents still live there now, up in oh, Dillard. Yeah. And Which high school did you go to? I went to Kono Christian School. Okay. I only actually started going there. This is where it gets interesting. I was homeschooled for a good portion of my childhood, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I have two older brothers. Um, they were homeschooled until like grade eight and grade 10. And I was homeschooled on and off until grade seven, grade eight. And then how come you... When did they, did your parents just decide that, that for high school, you would, you would go to high school or did no, you want to so go? I was, I was doing um, competitive rhythmic gymnastics, like very seriously <laughs> for um, 12 years. And I would like travel internationally. It was like pretty demanding, like 40 hours worth of training a week, like very oh my serious. Word. Yeah. Which was in Vernon. And, um, in order to like make all of the trainings and be able to go to these competitions, like a normal school system wouldn't work for me. Um, they didn't really have a lot of options back then for like yeah. for sports and um, kids, especially in like more private school. Um, so I homeschooled because it just allowed me the flexibility to do homework wherever and kind of like stay on curriculum, but at my own timeline. Wow, that's crazy. So what like, what was the plan? Olympics or what were, what was? Well, you know, it's a good, it, I feel like no one actually stopped and asked me what my plan was. <laughs> I think if they did, they would have known that like, I'm not a competitive person, <laughs> but I love the sport so much. I, um, like my best friends to this day were made through it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also like, I think a big part of where my creativity 
evolved and where I got to, um, you know, kind of get outside of the Okanagan, be exposed to things like Cirque du Soleil and like oh my gosh. these incredible creative people and work on productions for like year-end shows that were just incredible, like kind of like circuit shows and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but my direction was always more to actually get into Cirque du Soleil. Okay. <laughs> Run away with the circus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. But, so, so did you keep going? Like once you went to high school, did you still keep going with the gymnastics? I did gymnastics. Yeah. Up until I was 16, mm -hmm. um, but gradually got like less and less, um, involved because you know your your school life becomes more prominent you need to be really focusing on your studies I knew that there was an inevitable timeline for it as well it's kind of like figure skating where like yes. if you haven't made it by the time you're like 14 I know you're you're tired. washed up yeah yeah exactly that was the um, same with me I was in figure skating from when I was four till I was 12 Oh, really? And I was skating. I would go in the morning. I skated. I think it was, I remember waking up around five or five 30. I think I skated from six till eight 30. Then I'd go to school and then I skated from three 30 till seven. Yeah. Okay. That's like the same schedule as me. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was 12 and I'm, I'm the oldest of three. Yeah. When I was 12, my parents were like, look, you're not going to the Olympics. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they were like our whole life, our whole family's life revolved around my skating, and yeah. it was just I just loved it so much. But I mean, I wasn't like you said, like I wasn't going anywhere with it. But like even now, being back in my old hometown, um, mm -hmm. our our um, COVID shots were at the arena, and I walk in there and just the smell of it, just. I mean, it smells like mildew, I guess, but like, I just love the smell of it because I just loved being in there, you know? Yeah. And so they made me quit because they were like, this is so expensive and we're not, it's not going anywhere. So I switched to dance because what I loved was like the, you know, the creative free solo part of skating. Yeah. So I went into dance. You only needed one pair of shoes. You yeah. didn't need like a zillion pairs of skates. There, you didn't have to pay for ice time, you know, whatever. So I ended up dancing until I was 21 or something like that. Really? We well, could start so I a show. I, I transitioned into dance too, but oh. like in Kelowna. Wow. So maybe At least. the same competition. <laughs> maybe. Well, except that I think I'm quite a bit older than you, but um, <laughs> maybe we start our own dance troupe. Yeah. I would love to get back into dance. I mean, right now it would be hysterical to see me dancing because <laughs> I've got a beach ball in my tummy. Well, you know, when I, I moved back to the Okanagan, um, I've been here for maybe a couple of years and I was looking for, you know, a place to do Pilates and, you know, just looking for a good gym nearby. And um, I found a place in Penticton. And so I went and um, went the first day and I was all shy and nervous because I didn't know anybody. So I went... And the teacher turns around and says, oh, welcome. It was my dance teacher. No. My teacher from when I was 12 till I was 18. And I said, Joe? And she said, she's French Canadian and she's so funny. And I said, it's Danielle. And she was like, no. <laughs> so um, yeah, she's like, I've gone to her classes now for years and she's just the best. But like, what a weird you know, and here I am in my forties, but like, I can tell that she's watching me to make sure that my toes are pointed and that my hands are in the right position, you know, like the way she doesn't watch anyone else in the class and there's just this pressure to be like, 
nailing it in Pilates, you know. Anyway, it's very funny. But she started a dance class on Monday nights. And so I thought, oh, I'll go. Oh my God, my 40 something body does not do what my 16 year old body did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, like, oh, I, I know how to kick. I know how to, holy crap, my groin. It, it, yeah, it was terrible. Just like sleeping makes me sore these days. <laughs> <laughs> you have an excuse. Okay. We got super sidetracked there. Okay. So during all of that, I assume your whole world was probably rhythmic gymnastics and there was no, were you making art? Like were you well, artsy? Yes, I was artsy. So my mom's an artist. Oh, okay. So mine too. Home- oh, really? Oh, yes. Soul sisters. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so being, she was our teacher being homeschooled. So everything had a kind of a creative approach to it. Um, you know, we were raised with like pencil crayons in hand, going yeah. out into the, the mountains in our backyard, drawing what we saw, like all that kind of stuff. And then even through gymnastics, um, she would help cover the expenses for my um, classes and everything through helping with like prop making and stuff for the year in shows. Wow. So we had a ping pong table downstairs in our house that was not used (laughs) for ping pong (laughs) or table tennis, as (laughs) they call it. Um, We used it for like creating, you know, massive ice sculptures for the snow queen productions and banners for events and like everything yeah so there was like you know containers of every kind of glitter you could imagine and fabrics by the yard and yeah and so did you ever think in your head that you would be an artist I did I never thought I'd be like I don't know why I never really categorized myself in like the fine arts world even though I loved drawing and painting, um, I always was really interested in like more of the experiential performance side. Mm. So um, Cirque du Soleil was really appealing to me because it was like creating these really immersive environments and um, thinking about like choreography and what's the music like, what's the visuals look like, Um, just getting off of like a 2D surface and thinking about more the experience of the art. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I was always a little bit divided and that's funny because I still am in that place but I've just embraced it now. Mm-hmm. But it's been that division of like, I'm part artist, part designer. And yeah. where, what, like I never really knew what path to go down because of that because I couldn't decide on one. I hear you. That's exactly how I felt. Well, so, so when you graduate, in Kelowna, where, where did you go to art school? What did you do when you finished school? So I moved to Vancouver and um, I couldn't find a course that I felt like was a perfect fit. <laughs> um, do you have a Cirque du Soleil school that I could I, go to? I wanted to go to Cirque du Soleil, but I couldn't speak French. Ah. <laughs> the darn requirement in Canada, if you yeah. want university or circus yeah no kidding you have to have French (laughs) (laughs) but um yes I went to Vancouver went to Langara Langara College Mm -hmm. and they had a two-year diploma that was um graphic design uh exhibition design um illustration marketing it was kind of like an intro to all these things for two years I was like you know what that probably feels like a better fit because I can at least kind of get a taste for all of those paths and then see mm-hmm. kind of where 
where I end up. And so what did you like the most when you were there? I think exhibition design. Yeah, yeah. like thinking about exhibits and again, like the build out of environments. Um, event design was always something that was super appealing. I really loved interior design, which was also part of the thing we were looking at, but I was like four years of university after this is like, that's a big expense coming out of my pocket that I don't have. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of, you know, get, get one foot in the door with a company and just um, get some work experience and see if this is something I really want to do. And so is that what you did? You, were you doing like exhibit design stuff? So I went into event design. Yeah. Okay. So I started working with a, actually a florist doing like centerpieces and thinking about, um, you know, color palettes for table settings and things like that. And I enjoyed it, but I was like, oh, the, you know, I've got this graphic design side now um, that I really enjoy as well. And I love drawing and I love painting. And I just, again, felt like I was kind of limited to a medium. Yeah. Um, but well, especially when you start working too, if it's really busy and whatever, it kind of takes over your life, whether you love it or not, you know, like if you come home and sometimes you're just creatively tapped. And even if you yeah. want to be drawing, if you're just so tired from, you know, floral arrangements and place settings all day that you're like, I think I'll watch TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what was interesting was actually, um, because dance was so expensive to pay for classes, once I'd moved to Vancouver, um, I did a few classes of dance there, but I needed a creative outlet on the side because that mm -hmm. was kind of the thing that I had my whole life. Um, and that's what actually got me back into painting again, oh. was not being able to afford to go to these dance classes, but thinking, you know, I can go get a few canvases from a dollar store and some decent paints and just start, you know, painting what I see at night and, um, just have a bit of a creative outlet on the side. And that kind of kept on going for many years after as my side thing. Wow. And so when you started doing that, was it landscapes? Was it looking at your window in Vancouver? Yeah, I was looking at my window in Vancouver. And at the time when I moved there, I was living in a one bedroom and a solarium with my brother and my best friend. <laughs> on a bunk bed from Ikea for like $90 in a little glass solarium on the 17th floor. Oh and I was on the top, top level of the bunk bed, but we had the most spectacular views of like Granville Island, the bridge, yeah. and then you know, like the view of the ocean out behind. Um, and it was like living in a little fishbowl. So I yeah. would just look around at the world outside and paint it. <laughs> We, we lived right around there too. We were at Pacific and Burrard for years. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. Well, so when I first moved there, I was over at um, Beach and Pacific. I think oh, okay. Yeah. So right by that dog park. That, like, yeah. Right across yeah. We were like a couple blocks down from that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then I ended yeah, up moving this is weird. Like Harwood, um, right in, in um, the West End, like probably a few blocks. Right yeah. Right those are fantastic views yeah yeah those are those are so beautiful that's partly you know we we lived in downtown Toronto for years which I loved but growing up in the Okanagan it was just like where's I want to see the water and the mountains you know and I just I couldn't see that in Toronto and it had it had its benefits for other things but then when it was you know we were just 
we'd gotten married and we were thinking about having babies. And I was like, I just need to be outside. Yeah. And so, yeah, Vancouver was sort of perfect for that. And um, I think, I wonder if that's like, you know, that Okanagan thing and with your mom, like with her homeschooling, like, you know, taking you out to draw and documenting what you see basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely led to, I mean, I, I always wanted to draw landscapes. I think that's always been like my grounding place, you know, mm. that I always felt more home, like in the mountains behind our house than I did in my actual home. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so when you're, so what, um, cause I do, I think we have a few overlaps with people we know from work. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So like, I'll do a little bit of the fast forward version because my career jumped around a lot, but the event world led me to running different events. So, um, Pechacucha nights. Oh yeah. I used to help organize, um, all the speakers and graphics and everything, um, for those in Vancouver. Can, can you explain what Pechacucha is in case people don't know? Yeah. So, um, it's basically like a really quick, um, presentation for different people to go up and you usually I'm trying to remember because it's been so long I think it's 20 eight. slides for 20 seconds yeah yeah so it ends up being eight minutes or something like that yeah yeah I've been cool. asked to do it in Vancouver so many times I forget really that. yeah <laughs> and every single time I totally want to do but every single time I have been away like I'm like I'm in San Francisco or I'm like I'm somewhere every single time I'm like I don't know why the world, like I, the universe won't let me do it. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Yeah. It's such a neat concept. Yeah. It was super fun. And the best part was it like introduced me to so many people mm -hmm. um, in the creative world and just, yeah, it was really neat because I'd get to go to interview them and just kind of see if they'd be a good fit for presenting. And it was like the best reason to basically go grab coffees with like people I admired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, hey, you want to do this cool event? Um, and then that led to working for another event production company. Um, and slowly over the course of a few years, my role kind of started as graphic designer. And then it turned into like more of an art direction role. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to work with a lot of different designers thinking about like environmental build outs, wayfinding, branding for events, like personalizing experiences for guests, like all of that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, which was really, um, really good for me because it kind of brought together a lot of those different things that I enjoyed doing. Yeah. But the only part that I didn't like was, you know, you'd have multiple events going at the same time. And of course, like, you know, budget constraints and timeline constraints. Um, <clears throat> so I'd have these big ideas and we'd always have to like, you know, have them down to... <laughs> <laughs> the smallest most easy to accomplish um but it gave me a lot of tools that I now use as a full-time artist you know right. learning how to work on scale learning how to work with um different designers with suppliers like um client relations you know it's just all this stuff that is pretty essential to being <laughs> an artist and running your own business yeah you got this sort of business degree admin extravaganza to have in your back pocket for everything you're doing now exactly and just like even the structure the organization like learning um yeah basically how to plan out large-scale installations and that kind of thing mm -hmm. and so during okay so during all of that when you're running all of these things are you still painting 
still painting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, which this is where kind of the, the crossroads happened because I was obviously having less and less time because I was working crazy, crazy hours. Mm. Events world is nuts, especially if you've got like music festivals or conferences going on. It's like, you know, a, a 15 hour day is normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was getting harder to accomplish the paintings and I was getting more recognition for my work, which was wonderful, but I was getting more commission requests for paintings that I was like, I don't know, is it okay to say like, it's gonna take three or four months for me to complete a painting? Cause it might. Yeah. Um, but I, well, how, and how are people, were you showing? Like how are people seeing your work? So I did my first show um, in 2013 and it was just one that I organized myself. Um, Event coordinator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also again, because of the events world, I'd met a lot of great people that had venues and locations that were like, Hey, we want to bring people down here. Like, what can we do? <laughs> no, I, I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I did that and it, um, it worked pretty well. Like I got, a, um, I sold a few pieces and just got again, um, a few media out and they ended up showing some of my work and then you know, those blog posts led to a few commission requests. And then it just kind of gradually started building over the years. And I kept it as a side hobby the whole time. Up and Ever in your mind, did you think one day I'll, I'll be a full-time painter or did that just not even occur to you? It did. I think it was like my game plan for when I wanted to become a mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's going to be a point when I can't be working crazy hours in the event world. Um, and this is definitely like the path I want to one day end up at. Mm -hmm. I really didn't want to be like a starving artist. I think no, that's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. And because I'd gone through this like kind of backdoor way of getting there, working in, you know, um, many different jobs, but having like a consistent paycheck, being able to provide for myself because I've been living out of home since I was 17, paying my own rent and all of that. It was like, it wasn't an option to just be an artist and not have enough income lined up. Right. And especially when you're in a, an expensive city too. Super expensive city. Yeah. yeah. Just to get the supplies is expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I basically had it in the back of my mind. Like if I can have enough work lined up for three months, that will equate to basically what I would get paid out from my events world job, then I can make a transition. <laughs> wow. And so when, when, what year did that happen? Um, basically right when Zane was born, <laughs> when yeah. my son was born. Oh yeah. Oh my God. So three, he's almost three. So about three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, <laughs> so when you were pregnant with him, were you, were you like, okay, perfect. I just won't go back to the event world once he's born. Yeah. It was like always a little bit of a contender because there was a lot that I loved working right. in that world, the collaboration, like, you know, just being able to think on such a large scale and all that stuff I loved. And were you with a company? Like you could take mat leave and stuff. Sort of, but that's the oh. thing too. Like the events world, it's like it's very contract. Yeah, freelance based. contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then again, like thinking, you know, can could I handle working those crazy hours and 
traveling a lot for work, like with a little baby at home. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, there was, it was always on the kind of the, one of the options to pick from, and it still is always there a little bit. Yeah. But as I kind of invested more and more time into the events or sorry, into the arts world and um, kind of creating my own work, I just started feeling so much more fulfilled by all of that and again like the work just started kind of pouring back in and once I made space for it and made time for it I found that there was just like so much work waiting for me yeah so and so did you you know the the what's the word ignorance um (laughs) before you have a baby and you think oh after the baby's born, I'll do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And then the baby's born and you're like, oh my God, (laughs) this is not what I expected. So (laughs) yeah. How did you handle having, so he was born in Vancouver. Yeah. And now you're, you've got a tiny baby, but you also have so much work. Cause didn't like you were, I don't know if we recorded this part, but we were chatting beforehand that you said like a few months before he was born, it was just like an avalanche of work, like artwork. Yeah. Yeah, well, part of that was because of you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because you posted about my work and then introduced me to the Ian Tan Gallery, which oh, was yeah. amazing. Um, I'd gone there just to, you know, visit their work like maybe seven years prior and was like, wow. I totally amazing. forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's crazy. Oh, well, <laughs> so, sorry, not sorry. Um, oh my gosh. That's crazy. So you, what, you were like six or seven months pregnant then? Um, so when I did my show, Zane was three months old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I remember it was a, it was a group or well, um, it was two people in the show and, um, I had to create six new paintings and I think I had one started by the time he was born because I was on a backlog of all these commissions I had to get to. So I literally created like five new paintings while he was like from one month old to three. So. Oh my word. Well, big. you know, this is the thing, Elise, watching you online, I'm like, when, how, like, it's just, well, especially now, like toddler pregnant like and you every time I check your Instagram it's like you're doing new projects and new crazy things I'm like you are unstoppable like it's so impressive to watch like slow golf clap because it's quite something um okay when I'm kind of jumping all over the place but when did your um polygons like your your geometric landscapes kick in was that when you were sort of playing around or when did you develop that style Yeah. So that was when I was working as a graphic designer. So I was doing a lot of geometric um, graphics for events. Um, A lot of like, you know, quite abstract stuff and very minimal. I'd always loved like very minimal design, um, like mid-century architecture. I've always been attracted to that kind of geometry. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was always doing these landscapes on the side and then. And so what were the landscapes like? They were more realistic? Yeah, more realistic. Okay. Yeah. And then I just started thinking like, you know, these shapes do kind of create 
some pretty cool kind of mountainous looking structures. I was like, I wonder if I could do a bit of a hybrid. And then I started looking up, you know, on Pinterest, which I love, <laughs> searching for like geometric landscapes. And I started seeing some of the things that people had done. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. But um, what, where I think it would be interesting is to kind of have um, two different like opposing styles together. So to have that geometric low poly mountain next to really organic, um, soft like water and trees and having those two kind of opposing styles mixed mm. together. Um, and part of that was like, I've always really loved minimal design for my own home. Yeah. I was like, you know, the, the houses that I would love to get my work into, like they probably would be more inclined to have work that's a little bit more modern and minimal. Maybe there's a way that I can like bridge these two things together. That's so smart. Yeah. So smart to think about where it's going to end up living after mm -hmm. you make it. You know, if you want to be selling work, like that is a very strategic way to think about it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's kind of how my brain is wired. Like I think so much about how people experience work and the environment. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's just part of like working in the events world for a long time and having this passion for kind of creating immersive experiences. Mm -hmm. When I make my paintings or my artwork, I kind of picture it through that lens of like, how are people experiencing it? What room does it get put up in? What color palettes do they already have in their home? Like really making it fit. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Um, and so it's so funny too, because you're kind of a hybrid. <laughs> yes, that's you right. Know? It's yeah. so neat that your work has become exactly that too. So the first time you you did that combo, were you, was it like a, an aha moment where you like, oh, okay, I'm a genius. Like, did you love the look of it? I did. I always felt like there, like, um, it was a struggle to make it visually balanced perfectly. Right. And the more I did it, the more I was like, oh, okay, here are little things that I can add in or little ways that I can kind of make those two opposing styles kind of like meld together in a nice cohesive way. Well, being um, a graphic designer, do you, do you plan it on the computer first? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll find um, photos of work or of landscapes that I love mm -hmm. um, or take pictures myself of like different places I've gone to. Um, and then I'll take it into Illustrator and literally like build every triangle one by one over top of the photo. Yeah. It's almost like a collage. And then you can plan your colors there and everything too, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And often I'll actually pull colors. Like people don't even maybe know this, but I'll pull colors from the landscape itself mm. and then <clears throat> basically brighten them a lot more or just like highlight them a little bit more. So it kind of creates a high definition look, mm -hmm. yeah, like really colorful pops, but they're actually um, already in the landscape. Cool. So yeah. beautiful. And I love how, like, as I can see the one behind you right now, um, it's so cool because it's like, it creates the shadows and the light, like the sunlight bouncing off or if it's a sunset or, you know, whatever, it's such a cool way of doing it. And I think, I don't, maybe it's cause I'm a graphic designer too, but it's, yeah, it's such a neat way to break an image down. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, what's the most interesting part was like, while I was doing this work and sharing it on my Instagram and showing kind of some of my, my process. People started saying, I love 
how it is like the unfinished versions where it's like a photo with just the geometric part overlaid on top. Like, can I buy that? I'm like, oh, well, that's like my mock-up. <laughs> but it led me down a whole other path of realizing like, this is stuff that people really like. So, excuse me. So now I've got like these different kind of um, options or tiers for people if they want to do commission work where if they have these high res, beautiful photos of landscapes they've gone to, I can give them like a photo overlay where it's just the geometric portion on their landscape. Or I can do a full um, illustration on the computer, which is just everything is kind of like geometric. Yeah. Um, or, and then you print that as like a high quality print or how do you, what do you yeah. do? Oh, so smart. Yeah. Or I, I can project it and then create a painting, which is usually, you know, much more time consuming, but it also means because of that, the price point goes up. Right. So it's created like these three kind of natural tiers so that like if people can't afford to do you know something that's a little bit more time consuming or even for myself like commissioning a painting that's a pretty big step in life right yeah right <laughs> so doing these um commissioned illustrations or commissioned um photo overlays it's like a lot more uh, accessible yeah that's so great and yeah. so with with the photographs um how do you prefer working? Do you prefer um, doing the paintings or whichever way you do it, whichever tier of, of photographs that you've taken, found photographs or photographs from other people, or does it matter? It doesn't matter to me. It's all about composition. Yeah. It's like, it, especially with the kind of mountains that I'm doing, it's like the, A, the mountain has to have some kind of angles to it or something that I can overextend and accentuate to try right. into something that's like low poly um but composition is everything and I've tried a few times where people have said this is the exact view I want this please do it and they they work but they're just it's a little bit more forced right certain compositions like the one that you can see behind me yeah where they just naturally work right they yeah they have reflections or there's like visual balance there um, so yeah, composition has been become really important for finding the right inspiration. Well, it's so funny, like, um, cause the Okanagan mountains <clears throat> aren't very extreme. Like they're kind of giant rolling hills. Yeah. <laughs> but, there's um, <laughs> pardon? but there's a lot of them. There is a lot of them. Yes. And, um, um, one of our friends that we have in common, Jeff Topham. Yes. Who's a yeah. Oh, is that how you met him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I've known him since I was 10 and he was 12. Oh. He lived down the street from me and our parents became friends when they moved to town. And um, then he dated my best friend through high school. And anyway, we go way <laughs> back. Um, but you had posted something on Facebook a while ago and he tagged me and said, you should get her to do one of the Okanagan or something like that. And I was like, already done. <laughs> Two years too late. <laughs> yeah. And, but I love, um, maybe it's just because I'm a British Columbia girl, but I can almost always recognize when it's somewhere in BC, like if it's Squamish or um, Vancouver, Whistler, or the Okanagan, it's just like, oh, you just capture the colors, you capture the shapes. And it's just, it's such a neat way to look at something that you've looked at five zillion times yeah oh in another you. way you know um and so but I love like the ones with the lakes and the really sharp pointy mountains and 
um, which are very Canadian. Now, shortly after Zane was born, yeah. you didn't live in Canada anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just wanted to add a few more things to my list. Yeah, you were like, okay, I sense that there's a pandemic coming. <laughs> I'm going to move to the United States of America. Exactly. So yeah. what year did you guys, so you moved to LA. We moved to LA, um, which a big part of that was like, it's a three hour flight home. You know, it's super easy to get back and see family and friends. So. Yeah, you're in the same time zone, everything. Yeah, yeah. but it was because your husband had gotten a job down there. Is that why you guys went? Yeah, so he is a designer as well. He okay. worked, um, he got a job opportunity with Oculus, which is like the VR headsets. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Talk about experience. <laughs> I know, exactly. So he like lives in the digital realm of experience design. And then I'm like the physical realm of experience design. Are you guys going to collaborate and he can, you can step into your paintings? That's the goal. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. Dream team. Okay, so what year was that? that you so that was, um, I do everything by how old Zane was. That was yeah. when he was, um, he had just turned a year. So we moved here um, 2019, basically exactly two years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we had so, a preview of life in LA for five months before chaos hit. <laughs> yeah. And I remember there was something crazy where think things were shut I, I don't know if it was COVID related yet but you had to come back to Canada for some reason yeah. and you oh, it was crazy so I came back the only time I've traveled without my son um I went back for just um a funeral actually for a family emergency for two days in Kelowna and then I went to come back through um to the U.S. and got denied entry and escorted out by police from the YBR airport <laughs> what because I was told that as a Canadian citizen, having a stamp in my passport that showed my status, my visa status, um, and my I-94, which is basically just your document showing your travel history, that that was sufficient to let me into the country. And the border guy was like, uh, nope, you need an actual visa stamped foil in your passport. Um, this is like the new regulations. Thank you, Trump. <laughs> Oh no one was informed our immigration lawyers didn't know half the like I'd already traveled in and out of the country many times with the same documentation no problem um but basically they're like yeah you're not back you're not allowed back into the U.S. until you have a visa and your passport I was like I have a breastfeeding child <laughs> like I came home for two I came back to the Okanagan for two days I was just planning to do a really quick trip and they were like yeah no you can't go into the U.S. Oh my god you must have lost your mind. I did yeah and the, the worst part was because it was Christmas time so already immigration is a nightmare no matter what time of year but um on top of that there was a backlog of even trying to get an appointment so the first appointment that popped up for when I could even go in um was like a month and a half later or something like that. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not allowed back in the country. I, does my son have to move back to Vancouver? We don't have a place to live. Like we have tenants in our townhouse, so I can't go there. Um, what, did, what did you do? How long were you separated from him? I think it was four days. So oh, in the end, I know. Yeah. So in the end, our immigration lawyer was like, you, you absolutely should be let back into the country. Even if you come back in, 
as a visitor or come back in with your husband because he has the original visa. Okay. Maybe that'll help. So he came back and rescued me basically. <laughs> but this is the craziest part, Danielle. Like we came back through the border. I'm like literally sweating, like so scared. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get deported. I'm never going to so be able you, to. Did you guys drive across? Like, did he come get you and you drove back? No, we flew back. Okay. Yeah, he flew back to YVR. We went and grabbed a coffee at our favorite coffee shop in Vancouver and went right back to the airport. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I had all of my documents showing all of the emails I'd had with our lawyers, like that I had actually at that point now booked an appointment to come back to Canada and get the visas processed and everything. Um, and we went through... And the guy who was looking at the passports was the same guy who took no. me in secondary. Yeah. And I what just, are the chances? I don't think I've ever seen the same person. I know. And I just remember like Lyndon didn't know, my husband didn't know, um, you know, that that was the guy. I was just like, just standing there, like complete silence, sweating, please don't look at my passport or see like that I've been flagged or something. Um, but they ended up letting us through. It was just a miracle. I cried for like a good half an hour as soon as we crossed that borderline. Oh my gosh. There's nothing more horrible than like being separated from your child and it being completely out of your control. Yeah. And it just made me so grateful because I'd never been in that experience before. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what like immigrants must feel like. Yeah, I know. And you think about all everything at that Southern border and like just the nightmare, like, when you are that parent and it's not just a news headline and you know like these politics like I just like how can you not see the humanity in it like I know devastating the only thing I had even close to that which was nothing like that was when Charlie was around one he was still nursing and I had um an ovarian cyst rupturing and it was so painful and I I've had it before but I was like it was on the right side, which is where your appendix is. And I'm like, what if I'm diagnosing myself? I tend to do that. <laughs> I'm very close to becoming a doctor. I think if I look up three more articles on WebMD, I'm pretty sure I'll become a doctor. The thing is, we all do it. So <laughs> <laughs> My doctor's always like, did you Google this? I'm like, um, I may have. Um, and so I was like, what if I'm having, like, what if my appendix is rupturing and I die because I'm not going to go check this out? So I'd been in pain all night. I woke up at 5.30. I woke Greg up and I said, I'm driving myself to the hospital. Yeah. I just want to make sure. And I said, I'll be back in time, you know, to put him down for his nap because he nursed for his naps and his and bedtime, right? Yeah. Well, we get to the hospital. It turns out it was, oh, this is way too much information. Everybody listening? Sorry. <laughs> but it, I, uh, <laughs> I had an ovarian cyst in my ovary that was bigger than my ovary. Oh my gosh. It was about to explode. So they did an ultrasound just to make sure it wasn't my appendix. It wasn't. I was, the pain was giving labor a run for its money. Yeah. You know, like when you sweat, when your cheeks sweat, cause you're in so much pain. Yeah. And, uh, so they're like, oh, well, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna keep you overnight. And I was like, no, like I can't be away from my baby. No, yeah. Your baby will be fine. I'm like, no, he won't. <laughs> More importantly, no, I won't. Like, I need to get home. my husband. Yeah, yeah. And so, I know. So, I'm calling Greg. I can't come home for the nap time. And then by around, Charlie usually went down at around 8. I think it was 7 o'clock. And they're like, okay, we're admitting you. 
Um, and then this little hilarious male nurse came in and he goes, he says to me, what's your pain level? Like on a scale of nine to 10. And I was like, well, I'd put labor at a 10. So like nine. Yeah. And he goes, he leans and he goes, if you want to go home tonight, your pain level's at a two. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I was like, got it. So then the doctor came in and said, so where's your pain level now? I'm like, oh, like a two. And he was like, oh, okay, well, we'll send you home. So I like hobbled out of there pretending that I was fine, got in the car, zoomed home and nursed Charlie to sleep. And that was not even a full day. And I was like, I felt like a cat in a bag. I was like, no. So when I saw all that happening with you, I was just, I, I mean, I couldn't believe you're going through that. I'm so glad it was only a few days like, and not months. It was terrifying because like we, we didn't know. Like I could have. Yeah, been- of course. And like in hindsight, you can be like, oh, it was four days. But in those four days, it probably felt like years. And you're just nervously on every phone call trying to get a hold of anyone who can give you information. They all have different information. Yeah, no. <laughs> you're trying to make sense of nothing that makes sense, which is essentially just immigration in, in itself. Yeah. But then, oh. you know, yeah, so we moved to the U.S. and then COVID happened. And of course, I'm trying to set up a business in the U.S., and you know set up all of my own paperwork and make sure i've got social security and a driver's license and a bank account and like all of these things during covid yeah and you can't just pop out and sit at the dmv to get to do yeah oh my god all closed right so and and you've got like a one and a half one year old one and a half yeah yeah that time yeah oh my god but somehow again I just keep seeing, oh, look, she's doing collaboration with a ski company and she's doing this and that. Oh, there's a mural. It's like, what? How are you doing this? Oh, yeah, that's been really interesting to navigate. And again, coming back to the graphic design experience being so essential. um, I was getting all these projects in Canada, which I thought, oh, I could easily go back to. Of course, then, you know, everything closed. The borders closed. I couldn't travel. Um, so what I would do is basically like like massive paint by numbers. So I would design out, this is, you know, the illustration, this is what, like what paint color, what aerosol spray color I want every single shape to be. (laughs) And then I hired, uh, one of my, my friends who's an amazing artist in Vancouver, James Knight. He helped me execute one of the murals during COVID. (laughs) So you, you were in California and he was. Oh my gosh. You're like the master puppeteer, James, make it happen. That's so cool. What a neat way to collaborate in a time of what the heck do you do? Yeah, well, exactly. Because like the client was like, well, we have a timeline and like, I know you can't come down here. So like, we're trying to figure out what to do. And it's like, well, you know, I I think I can make this work. (laughs) So cool. And then what about the skis? I saw your beautiful work on these cool skis how did that come about so yeah it's been kind of crazy so I haven't pitched to basically anybody yeah that was one of my questions I think was okay how does this happen are you reaching out to them are they reaching out to you like is this in dms and instagram where where is all this happening yeah so basically like what I tell my like yeah the way that I've kind of set things up is I feel like I've built streams over the years yeah that are like, you know, just little trickling streams of like, here's a few <laughs> little projects that I've done or 
a few um, publications or something that have covered my work, um, even like social media channels, like just, you know, have a few little places where people can come across things. And then like slowly the water comes in <laughs> and sometimes it'll be dry for a little while, but then suddenly, you know, all of these requests will start pouring through. And I've, I've managed to get a lot of brand collaborations because people have either just randomly come across my social media or they've seen, you know, a mural that I've done once before or that kind of thing. But they just like, yeah, they organically find me. And it, it always comes at a point where I feel like there's nothing going on. I need to find a new job. I can't make ends meet. The next morning I wake up, I'll have an email in my inbox being like, hey, you want to put your art on our skis? <laughs> like, what? Okay, yeah, that sounds cool. Oh my gosh. And you know, so how, that's such an important conversation to have is because from the outside, you know, like I keep saying, following you on Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, she's on fire. But it's so important for people to know that sometimes the fire, you feel like the fire is about to go out. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just like, oh God. And so um, in those moments, are you starting to trust that it's going to come back? Absolutely. Now yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Because I've seen it happen so many times. Yeah. Like so do, do you give yourself, are you giving yourself like, um, like a moment to just be like, it's fine. Like just exhale. Mm -hmm. um, I guess you've got enough little creeks and rivers that you can see, you know, sort of like poke at different things if you want to sort of, you know, you've got enough things happening that you can kind of stoke it, I guess, if you need to. Yeah, I think, so there's a few sides to it. I think part of it is um, the luxury of having a partner who has a consistent income. So mm -hmm. when those moments hit, I'm not having, I mean, obviously I, I have expenses that I need to meet as well and, and targets that I want to make, but um, it's, it's never at a point of like, I can't make rent. Right. That's and you've lived that, like you've had, you had had that life when you were on your own and finishing college and all that stuff. So you know what that feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is a different level of stress. Now, when um, things start to dry up, uh, it does stress me out a little bit, but it usually, I just shift my focus and it's like, okay, now I'm going to think about um, documenting more of my work, updating my website, um, you know, organizing, getting photos of my work. Or one thing that I really don't get to do very much of, ironically, as an artist, is experimenting. Right. You know, playing with different styles and all, like most of my work is commission based, right? So it's like, you know, this is what I, this is the, the view or the landscape that I want and kind of go forth and, and right. But I don't have a ton of room for thinking about new ideas. So this year has been interesting because during those you know, ebbs where things are kind of quiet, I have been able to think about like, how do I not pivot, but like what, what is Elise 2.0 look like? You know, right. I've been doing all of these landscapes, um, but what, how do I kind of like transcend where I am into a new, mm -hmm. <laughs> a new direction? Immersive um, experience. Yes. So installations is yes. one. Have you done any installations? I'm working on one right now, which I can't talk about quite yet. I almost can in like a month, but it's huge. It's like the, the biggest interactive art installation in North America or something like that. It's massive. 
So oh it, it was just like someone saw my mural in Van- one of my murals in Vancouver and thought, you know, she knows how to do color and geometry. Maybe she could figure out how to apply that to a massive site. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And See, it's been so cool. It's like the dream. It's like, it's exactly... Oh my word. Okay. Quick question. How many murals do you have out in the world? So really not that many actually, because, um, because again, being a working mom, making murals is very a like time consuming, but also like hard hours. You have to be on site for so many hours. Um, the biggest mural I did was the one in Vancouver, um, which was like periodically while breastfeeding my child, my husband would come and like bring him down. Oh my god! Yeah, and I was like, "This I can't do this all the time because this is this is for like young athletic people who don't have children." Was that your first mural? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's so, shocking how physically demanding it is. Yeah, and that was three thousand square feet. And whoa, the same week or like a week later, we were going to Australia to get our visas and then moving to America like two weeks later. All, like, so that was our, my last month in Vancouver was packing up our home, <laughs> planning for an international trip with a baby. And There's no video that goes with this, but just so everyone knows, my eyes are closed and I'm slowly shaking my head <laughs> because I can feel the anxiety and fatigue washing over me. Oh my God. The ebbs and flows. Like when it yeah. flows, it flows so hard and yeah it's like white water rafting yeah yeah it's exactly like you have to learn how to surf it (laughs) yeah no kidding oh my god and so um one of the things I was before we went off on our um, immigration tangent was um I've been seeing some of your the work that you've done that's California looking like Mm -hmm. the desert work and stuff like that and so is it kind of fun to you know have those different landscapes absolutely Yeah. yeah So that was the thing when I was in Canada, obviously it's endless, beautiful scenery to work with, but I am so affected by my environment and what I'm seeing. Um, And moving to California, I was really excited because we're so close, living in LA, we're so close to places like Palm Springs. Um, Both my husband and I are really obsessed with like mid-century architecture. Mm -hmm. Over the course of the last year and a half with everything closed down we just made it like our goal to tour around and see all of the cool Frank Lloyd Wright architecture and like these old 60s just beautiful clean line properties um so that started making me think a lot about incorporating like dwellings or homes into my landscapes have you done that yet I have no this is the, this is the crazy part again like about the like you know you build the channel you build the stream and the water comes one of the the ebbs in the last few years when things were quiet was when i started experimenting with architecture and thinking about how it kind of fits within my geometric landscapes and i was doing a lot of these like very mid-century you know california tropical kind of settings and was painting some of them thinking you know like oh, it feels weird to be working on projects, not having like a buyer or a home that it's going to. Yeah. For me, that's unusual. Um, and then literally in the same week, someone reached out to me and said, hey, I, I live in Palm Springs. I've got this um, 
house that has an amazing view of these big mountains, love to commission a painting. Um, and I said, oh, okay, um, could you send me a picture of like what your house looks like with the mountain behind? And of course it's this beautiful 1960s mid-century home. I said, hey, can I pitch you on an idea? <laughs> it's like, I've been doing these architectural pieces with the, the environment behind it. And I would love to do yours because this is like, you know, a notable architect and a beautiful property. And um, I did a few mock-ups and he was sold and that was my first one. And it was just amazing how I'd been experimenting with it for weeks leading up, yeah. having no idea it was going to lead to anything. And then lo and behold, <laughs> randomly oh an email comes in right at that moment. Um, you know, and I, I feel like this, even this conversation is one of those things because last week I had um, my friend Andy, Andy J Pizza on the podcast and we were talking about all, because I'm sort of feeling in one of those ebbs and not really sure and wanting to pivot, but feeling like is the pivot too crazy to the left? Like, should I, you know, whatever. Um, and we talked all about just remembering to have fun. Like at one point he said, remember, this is supposed to be fun. And I was like, oh yeah. Cause I was getting two in my head instead of just playing and yeah. following the things that I love, like you loving that kind of architecture, mm -hmm. not worrying about where this is going to end up just being like, well, I just want to try this. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, you know, a message comes. And I think it's so important as artists just to allow yourself that childlike we didn't think about that stuff when we were little. You just did something else because you had an idea or you found a stick and you were like, oh, this would look cool if I painted it, you know, stripey. Um, you just yeah. did it. And I think this is such a, like everything you're saying, I'm like, it's just reinforcing all of that. Well, you know what the difference now is too? I was listening to a podcast the other day that kind of was like enlightening about that, was that, um, when you create your first body of work as an artist, when you find your style and you find your aesthetic, um, that's a lifetime in the making. That, you know, that was all of your experience as a designer, as an artist, as, you know, um, finding what your interests are, letting it surface to the top. A right. kid growing up being taken out to draw yeah, with your exactly. mom, like everything, yeah. And then it gets you to this point of like, oh, this is my style. But eventually you do, not not maybe for everyone but most people either get a little bored or just want to think okay what's next like i don't want to be doing this forever what's the next version of this aesthetic or the next medium that i'm going to work on or whatever it may be um and then you think that you can just make a really quick shift of like okay this is it right yeah but then you remember like the the first time you found that that aesthetic and that style was actually not just like you know, a spur of the moment thing, but it was actually many years in the making. Yes. So you give yourself that time and space to, to let it rise. To, yeah. 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 And then, yeah, I think also just, um, the difference now for you, especially too, is like, once you've got a platform, you've got an audience, you have expectations, you have people that follow you because they like a certain style of your work. Yeah. Uh, do you find that like, yes. Yeah, yeah, you're so established with your style. Yeah, that pivoting doesn't only mean it affects you, but it might affect your audience and they might not like what you do next. So there's more pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, so how, how do you handle that? Like what, are your pivots just tinier? 
like that's sort of what Andy was talking about. He he was talking about Ob Obama saying in a speech about a ship can't turn 180 degrees. It has to, you have to go degree by yeah. degree, right? And so, you know, do you pivot 180 immediately and mm -hmm. then go and find a whole new base of clients? Or do you go incrementally and hopefully take a bunch of people with you and then find some new people along the way? Yeah, I think it's incremental. Yeah. Um, depending on like, yeah, if it's a new aesthetic. Um, so for me, yeah, introducing dwellings into the landscapes felt like a massive shift because I was like, well, people might not like seeing homes. I never put homes. I never put people in my paintings because that's just not what I do. I create settings. Um, but that's why I found like now I see these like ebbs as kind of a blessing because it's the time where you can play around and experiment and I was just like, oh, I don't want to do something completely new. I want to be able to incorporate either a color palette or um, mm -hmm. the minimal lines, the geometry, like pull from what I already have. Yeah. And that's the cool thing with social media now is it's kind of a testing ground. It's like your own little lab, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Who follow you and can give you feedback. And sometimes it might not be super useful, but sometimes it might be like, Oh yeah, if I saw, you know, this illustration of a building, um, I absolutely would think it's your work because it's the same color yeah. palette and similar shapes and right. And like the people, like how you said to you, it's a massive shift to, to people. It might not be a massive shift at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Yeah. <sighs> I've been thinking a lot, <laughs> a lot of thinking. Yeah. Um, Oh man, I cannot wait to hear about whatever this crazy installation you're doing is. Because when you first started talking at the beginning of this, like the Cirque du Soleil and everything, yeah. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask if it's Cirque du Soleil, and you give me eye movements to show oh me. Oh my if it's gosh, it. that is dream collaboration. It's not, right. but yeah, let's put that out in the. Let's universe. put that in the universe because <laughs> we need to create some new enchanted other world, but <laughs> like with water. Yeah and low poly mountains yeah. oh my gosh so this is the thing is like i really want to experiment with scale and with creating immersive environments like places where people can go and just feel a sense of wonder and these paintings are so much fun but they're like a little window into that world right and i want to like step in you know yeah. i want to create something where people can go into a space whether it's like art shows um, that feel really immersive and you know there's music and lighting and all of these things or if it's more thinking about like environmental installations mm -hmm. so it's also exciting I just think that stuff is so exciting and I think the minute that we give ourselves permission to think about that stuff to like mm -hmm. you know um, I've told this story a zillion times but going to Venice to the Biennale in 2017 was a life changer for me because I'd been doing my collages and stuff and I really was happy with them. But then you go into some of these installations, like these immersive experiences and you're just surrounded. Like the artist has thought of everything and you are stepping into their work. Like it gives me chills just thinking about it. Yeah. And I remember coming out of there just feeling defeated because I was like, Oh, my collages are so stupid. You know, it's just like a little thing on paper and eight by 10 and blah, blah. And I always say that old Danielle would have just quit yeah and the new danielle the gels curator is like well hold on yeah you know what isn't what do i love about my work okay great 
And if I'm so impressed by all of this immersiveness, why can't I make immersive collages or whatever, you know what I mean? And, or an experience of some kind. And like, is there scent? Is there sound? Like, why can't I do that? And it's like, you absolutely can, you know? And um, I think it's so exciting that the childhood you, you know, like it's coming all around and, and um, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You'll have to come back on and tell us all about it. I know. Well, so the, just to circle back around immigration, my goal is because it's getting installed right now. And my goal is to make it back to BC before baby's born. <laughs> okay. But we have a few hurdles to jump through because the borders are still closed. But after July 5th, fully vaccinated people can come back into the country if you're a Canadian citizen. Yeah. I've just got a few things to jump through, which is also um, an expired visa, but mm. I have a status with my I-94 um, and, oh yeah, and a baby that's like <laughs> coming in a few months. But I'm like, this is my chance to go and see what I've been working on in person. And it feels so weird to not yeah. be there for it. Yeah. So I'm just praying and hoping and putting it out in the world that um, it works and that the border will allow me both into Canada and also and, yeah. <laughs> yeah no kidding oh my gosh well if you happen to be here and go into early labor you could have your baby in Canada this is true not have yeah. to pay a thing well well I might oh. <laughs> get insurance coverage oh right <laughs> right 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 um oh my gosh don't have your baby don't have your baby early that's not even, I shouldn't have even said that out loud. Um, come here, do your install, enjoy it, love it. Go back, have your baby. Everything's fine. Let's yeah. put that in the universe. Yeah. And it needs to be a baby that sleeps well. Oh, was he not a sleeper? No. <laughs> it was Charlie. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, that was misinformation. People told us. <laughs> I know. We born sleep all the time. They were wrong. They were wrong. I know. And there was a few people I had to disown, um, you know, friends that you make at those baby days groups. And, and then they're like, oh, my baby's sleeping through the night at six weeks. And it's like, okay, well, clearly we will never be friends. Yeah. yeah. And then, then you, you feel guilty because you're like, I'm not a whiner. I just actually have a child that wakes up every few hours. Yeah. Well, Charlie didn't sleep through the night till he was two years and three months. Yeah. Is we that where you guys are? Yeah, he, he does every once in a while, but like, yeah, if you, nightmares, you know, yeah. we're in the nightmare stage, so that happens. Well, not to, not to upset you or scare you, but Charlie called me at least once a night until he was nine. Called you? Oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. So he would be in his room and I would just hear at like three in the morning, mommy, and I would, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> make sure that I was somewhere and then he would fall back asleep so I didn't ever I didn't sleep for like eight hours straight for almost 10 years oh my gosh but I, I was just so used to it you know you're just like all right like I just you know I just got completely used to it but and now he's a teenager and he sleeps for like 13 hours and it is awesome oh my god I will never be one of those parents that's like get up time to mow the lawn it's like man if you want to sleep, do you know how much I can do? 
between when I wake up and when he wakes up, it's like, I've gone for a run. I've gone, I've done this and this. I've been in the studio for five hours. I like, you know, keep sleeping, kid. I'm fine with that. I can't wait for that. Like when I see these Instagram moms who like wake up and do yoga and make their special drinks and their healthy (laughs) breakfast before their babies. I'm like, I had a pterodactyl screeching at 5.30 this morning. Well, my mom said it was karma because she said when I was little, like, you know, I could walk, I guess. She said, I figured out how to get out of my crib. I would do this sort of gymnastic flip onto my belly and then flip myself out. And she said, I would come into their room at five in the morning and pry one of her eyes open and say, time to get up. (laughs) So when Charlie wasn't sleeping, my mom was like, ah, karma. Oh my gosh. So funny. That's horrible. Anyway, well, you know what? The other thing this episode did was prove that you can be a mother and an artist. Cold, hard, prove. Yeah. If you need something enough, you just make time for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I could be napping, but I have some projects I'm super pumped about. And yes, I'm exhausted, but this gives me more energy than sleep. (laughs) Well, and when I said to you about about, um, when you were working in the event world and I, you know, you just want to come home and watch TV. I don't think that you did. No, no. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm sensing that that was not her way of um, working in the world. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I honestly, I love to, but um, I'm my brain goes off at night. Like that's oh, my that's my your time. time. Yeah. So I get a lot more done in the evenings, especially lately, because mornings are starting so early. And yeah very pregnant I'm just like my brain doesn't really start functioning until about 12 o'clock yeah oh my god so exciting well we gotta say well we're gonna do the not so speedy speed round um but um yeah so excited to see what the next few months hold for you oh my gosh um okay well I told you before we started recording that it we're in the middle of a heat wave here yes I am sweating at 10 a.m so this is where this first question comes okay beverages and you live in California, hot or iced? Iced, absolutely. Always? Um, Well, yeah, now, yes. Okay, I do miss like a hot cappuccino on a rainy day in Vancouver with like a a warm cookie. Yes. Yeah, there's something very, very cozy about that or like a hot chai latte or something like Mm -hmm. that. When we, even when I, when we go to Hawaii, on vacation, I still get hot coffees. I don't know. That makes no sense, does it? No. It's like I forget that there's iced ones. Although, you know what? Like places like India, they do drink warmer, like they don't do iced water because apparently right. that actually doesn't cool your body down. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you know something we know. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just my instincts kicking in. Um, okay, California. Have you ever surfed? Yes. I love really? <laughs> yeah. Have you done it before you guys moved? Yes. Yeah. Actually, when I, I came down to LA a bunch of times for holidays and I did um, a week long surfing course, which was so much fun. Cool. Mostly because my instructor was very handsome. <laughs> I'll be here bright and early tomorrow. Yeah. It's like I'm motivated. <laughs> and so can you surf? Like, I, I could, yeah, I'm not, 
look, if my husband was in the room right now, he'd be like, no, she can't. Yeah. Can he? <laughs> He's Australian, so he knows that. Oh, too. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can stand. Oh, good for you. I've tried a couple of times. It's so hard. Yeah, it's misleading. I feel it like is. there's a few things where I just, I was telling my husband this yesterday, which is hilarious. There's a few things where I'm just like, I think I'm naturally going to be really good at this. It's like surfing, longboarding, breakdancing, DJing. <laughs> just like a bunch of things where I'm like, I know how to do it. <laughs> I think that might be at least 2.0. <laughs> yeah. A surfing, DJing, longboarding, breakdancer. Yeah. With yeah. two babies. <laughs> oh my god okay what, what did he say to that did he agree uh no he calls me out on that yeah stuff. <laughs> well when I went to UVic um the thing we would do at reading break in October and February was go up to Tofino because you can surf yeah in the Pacific Ocean it is freezing cold and you have to wear a wetsuit but the waves are big enough for surfing and I same thing I was like huh, I think I'm going to be amazing at this um I was not. <laughs> it was terrible. And then so when we went to Hawaii the first time, I think Charlie was seven, you could take lessons, right? Just like a morning lesson. And again, I was like, I had the gear on and I'm like, this is feeling pretty good. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I, I think I stood up once for two seconds. Charlie did it immediately. Yeah. Granted he was seven and he had much lower center of gravity and like confidence, like nothing, but it's so hard and paddling out is the heart like it's just so much work and then you want to get the big waves because they're the ones that are easier to ride but then when you see them coming you're like I'm gonna die yeah <laughs> this is the end of my life what I like to do is rent the surfboard and the yeah. rash guard and stand on the beach mm -hmm. yeah and look like you've just like oh that was a good morning set you know yeah people don't need to know no that's right it's the illusion. Like in grade eight, for example, I was a skateboarder. I just carried my skateboard around. Right. I couldn't yeah. actually ride it. Yeah. But I had one of those um, like asymmetrical haircuts. Yeah. And I wore all the surf clothes and I just carried my surf or my um, skateboard wherever I went. I was yeah. telling Charlie that the other day and he was like, cringe. I'm mortified. You're so cringy. He's like, I would have hated you. I'm like, you probably would I did the same thing with my bike when I was little. I we lived up on Dilworth Mountain, and it's like it's it's a hill. Um, and I would walk my bike to my friend's house down the street because I was too afraid to go down the steep hill. And I didn't really know how to ride a bike, <laughs> but I had one. But and I it looked really good, know. and it looked good. It looked cool. Yeah, we would have been friends if we had known each other back in our Okanagan days. Right. I took breakdancing classes also when I was in grade six. So did I, Danielle. I taught break dancing. What? <laughs> oh my God. If you get back up in this Okanagan area, let's go. Right? Let's go do Okanagan things. Oh, speaking of which, I have that's the next question. Oh, okay. But this might determine that you are a lot younger than me. But this okay. is a Kelowna question. Did you ever go to splashes? Yes. Did that exist? Yeah. Splashes and gotchas. Yeah, gotchas. Flashbacks. What was the other one? Flashbacks. Flashbacks. I couldn't remember that one. I, okay, everyone. These are all nightclubs in Kelowna. Did you go when you were legally allowed or did you sneak in with fake ID? Fake ID. Same. 
I don't think I ever went when I was 19. Do you remember what your fake ID name was? Oh, it was one of my sister's friends. And then my other friend, Mel, she had one of our sister's friends' IDs. So we all go there. She hands it to the bouncer. And he looks at it and he's like, yeah, I dated her. Oh, no. And you're not her. This small town. And she was like, oh. So that evening was done before it even began. You know what? The bouncer at, um, I think it was Flashbacks, called me out and took my ID away because I didn't know my horoscope. Oh, see, huge mistake. You've got to have it all covered. That's what you do on your way to the bar is you do all the background research. Yeah, that's right. Well, I knew her birth date and all of those things, all the essentials, but I didn't know her horoscope. <laughs> do you remember it splashes the bubble machine? Yes. I loved it. I just remember being like 17 or 18 the first time we went and I was just like, I'm home. Yeah. Or the cages at Gotchas. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> it's so terrible. Well, they're all still there, but they're all named different things now. Really? And, yeah. And again, I'm sorry to the people listening because I keep forgetting that other people are listening to this, but we went there for my 40th birthday. Oh my gosh, so much fun. So I just moved back. I moved, we moved here uh, in the winter of me being 39 and then I turned 40 in the spring and a whole bunch of my girlfriends have moved back here too because it's just such a beautiful place to raise your family, right? So, so yeah. many of my high school friends oh. were gone for 20 years like me and they've all come back. So they're like 40th birthday, we're going to Kelowna and we're going to Splashes, which is now called something else. Yeah. And um, what was the other one you said? Gotchas is now oh. Sapphire, I think. Anyway. <laughs> so we pull up and the one that was used to be splashes is again all like 18 19 year old girls in tiny little hot pants and whatever and I said yeah no we're not going there I can't compete with that we're not going there so we went across the street because there was no line oh my god we had so much fun because you know when you're with the people you knew when you were 17 or 18 it's really easy to pretend that you're 17 or 18 yes oh for sure oh my god I the next day my face and abs hurt from laughing. I, it was so much fun. And it was like being in a time machine because there's still the smoke machines and the bubble machines that like, you know, and it's just like, how are we here? Oh my gosh. I just that need some rockaberry cooler and I would have been all set. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's I would just go and get one shot of Bacardi 151, <laughs> which is literally the most disgusting. It's like, Oh, horrible. But I just take one and then I was done. I'd be good to go for the rest of the night. My God. <laughs> Little lightweight. Um, good times. Okay. We're going, we're going to all of those places and we'll break dance when we get there. Please. Oh my God. Love it. I, know, okay. I know I've got a break dancing community still in Kelowna so I can call them up. Be like, There's still definitely an 80s vibe in the Okanagan Valley that never went away. It was like, it was our heyday and like the radio stations, like it's like a weird time warp. Yeah. Kind of love it. Sun FM still yeah. going. Yeah. Oh I know. I love it. Okay. And the final question also Okanagan related. Okay. The Ogopogo is real, true or false? True. Correct. <laughs> and I've actually spoken about the Ogopogo on my podcast before. Charlie brought it up, actually. He was on the Mother's Day um, episode. The Ogopogo, for people that don't know, is sort of like Canada's Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. A lot of sightings, a lot of um, grainy video. I don't know if you remember 
but Unsolved Mysteries came here in the 80s and did an episode about it. Uh, yes, yeah. Which was so exciting because big American TV show in our little lake. Unfortunately, no evidence that time. Just like Finding oh, Bigfoot, you know? He's, hmm? got a little, he's good at hiding. He's got, he, is. he knows, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, my friend's dad got footage of like the back of the Ogopogo. Yeah. Whoa. Which like, sure, maybe it's just a really big sea mammal. Maybe it's not the Ogopogo as we've envisioned, but there's something in those waters. There's something big. And I always think about it if you're in a boat and you jump in or you're water skiing and you fall, all you can really think about in that moment is the Ogopogo. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Uh, your toes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the worst feeling ever. Cause you're like, that's the Ogopogo licking my toes for sure. Yes, for <laughs> sure. No, it's not a tiny little lake fish. For sure, it's the Ogopogo. Yeah. I know. See, you get it. Okanagan girl, I love it. Um, at least that, there was so many tangents. I told you ahead of time there was gonna be <laughs> tangents. We went to town. Um, okay, I'm going to let you get back to your busy, busy life. I cannot wait to hear. I will be watching Instagram to see the reveals of installations and babies. Yeah, lots of stuff. <laughs> so exciting. Um, anything you want to add? Is there anything anybody should be watching out for? Where can they, they can find you on Instagram? Is there anything anybody needs to know? Um, yeah, love doing commission work. So if you guys have landscapes that you want, either turn into illustrations or paintings, um, just go to my website. It's just elisedodge.com. Um, and then, yeah, there's just, there's so much stuff um, going on. But I've got um, a gallery up in Whistler that's going to be showing some of my work. They're going to, um, it's the Adele Campbell Gallery. When does that open? Um, well, so it's open, but I'm going to be sending my work there hopefully before the baby is here. Oh. So like beginning of August. Okay. <laughs> Doing one of those five new paintings for a gallery before the baby is born. Good yeah. times. Yeah. Um, and then I've got a show in LA. I'm doing a group show um, at the Corey Helford Gallery. Oh, from... I love them. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. great. I haven't worked with them before. Um, but yeah, from August 14th to September 18th we're doing a show called The Little Prince. It's about the book. And I think oh. it's such funny timing because that is the window of when my little baby boy is gonna be born. <laughs> it's literally the window, the time frame that he'll be born. So The Little wow. Prince. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Well, I'm so, I'm so happy that I have my Okanagan view. I'm going to put a picture of that in um, the post that I put on my site. I cried when I opened that, by the way. I had no idea. Greg is a really good gift giver, and he's really good at being sneaky and stuff. Yeah. But so this big box is there. Oh. I don't know what's in it. You know, I was not thinking it was a commission painting by you because I'd written about you not long before that, and then he reached out and got you to Anyway, I opened it up, and I was just like, what the? What? Because I recognized that it was the view from our driveway. And I was like, how? What? And just like lost it and was crying. And yeah, I just love it so much. I'm so happy that I have it in my house. And I'm so happy that we finally like realized that we're the same person. I know. Seriously, soul sisters. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I'm, I'm hoping to be in LA in the fall sometime. So um, you'll have a brand new baby, but 
that doesn't seem to slow you down. No. Um, I will give you a shout. Hopefully, I'm hopefully going to come and read my kid's book. So oh, maybe Zane can come. Oh, you do? We, I read to Zane like every other night. We, we have an alternating yeah. schedule and yours is right in there. Yay. Um, well, I'd love to meet him and see your new little boy. Um, and if you're ever up here in home, give me a shout. And um, yeah, we'll do the Okanagan girl thing. Yeah. We'll go All get right. some Okanagan peaches and go out on a boat or something. Yeah. Go in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's where I'm going right now. I think I'm so hot. Um, okay. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. You too. Okay. Bye. There. Now she's been on the podcast and we are officially friends. Phew. So glad I got that taken care of before wrapping for the summer. Thanks so much to Elise for taking the time to do this with me, even though she has so much going on. I cannot wait to find out what this huge project is, and I can't wait to see a picture of her new baby. I will keep you guys posted on that over on Instagram. Thanks to Create Magazine for supporting this episode, and if you want to submit to their Fall 2021 issue, curated by Tax Collection, be sure to submit by this coming Wednesday, June 30th. Just visit Create Magazine, all one word, createmagazine.com slash submit to apply. And of course, great big thanks to you for listening to yet another season full of artsy conversations. If you need a little something extra while the podcast is taking a break, you can always join the No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society, aka my daily newsletter that is filled to the brim with art, delivered to your inbox Monday through Saturday. If you get it month by month, it is $5 a month, or if you sign up for a year, it drops to $3 a month. That's like one latte a month. Come on. Anyway, there's a direct link to sign up in my Instagram profile and in the show notes for this episode over on my site, thejealouscurator.com, or if you just want to go straight to the source, you can visit thejealouscurator.substack.com. Have a wonderful, relaxing, creative, rejuvenating summer, and I will be back in September with more art for your ear. See you then.